the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Weary is an area in my Christian walk that I will admit I struggle with. Not even just from time to time. Sometimes almost continuously. And let's face it, these days there's a big laundry list of things that we can all be worried about. Now, it's not just limited to, will the Giants win the playoffs? But it's things like financial problems, family troubles, health problems, things of this sort. And suddenly we find ourselves in a whole heap of worry. But what does Jesus say about worry? Well, he tells us, first off, in Matthew 6 and 25, not to be anxious about life, not to worry about what we're going to eat or drink or about our body or what you're going to wear. You have to um, set aside concerns over things like food. In fact, realize that even as God cares for the birds of the air, as they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet our Heavenly Father feeds them, so too then should we recognize that we are of greater value than they, and therefore should recognize that being anxious cannot add even a single hour to our lifespan. In fact, medical doctors will often tell you it can detract from your physical health. So how do we deal with worry and being anxious in life? Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry is the title of a new book by Amy Simpson. And Amy, great to have you on the program. Thank you. It's great to be here with you. Well, this is a topic I think all of us uh, deal with at one layer or another. I guess maybe the big room divider here would be those that um, that have a healthy amount of worry. Um, I think sometimes that fight-flight response to things going on around us is an important one to, to have. And, but then, of course, there's the other side of this coin, and that is when worry becomes excessive. It's no longer normal. It is over-concern or, or maybe a combination of a couple of things, over-concern and, as you suggest in the book, uh, coupled with some under-trust. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I do feel like it's important to make some distinctions, be, you know, because um, what, what I'm talking about here is not pathological anxiety. It's not, um, you know, an anxiety disorder, which really needs to be addressed through maybe counseling, um, sometimes medication, sometimes both, um, but really the choice to engage in worry. And you're right, anxiety is uh, and fear are created to be healthy tools for us. They can help keep us safe. They can help us make wise decisions and avoid situations that we should avoid. Um, sometimes I think when people think they need to address the problem of worry in their lives, they really try to get rid of all fear and anxiety. And, you know, we don't need to rid ourselves of those things completely. They are positive, healthy tools. But worry, you know, just pointlessly worrying about something is different. And, you know, choosing to engage in that behavior does reflect, um, I think, often reflect a belief in our lives that needs to be corrected. Let's drill down to some important definitions here. First, you make a, a distinction, I think, that it, it can be a decision. This is something that we engage in, that there is an aspect of this that is that is voluntary. Is that so? Yeah, absolutely. Now, with something like an anxiety disorder, the anxious response, that fight or flight, is not voluntary. 
And even with someone who has an anxiety disorder, that's not voluntary. It's really a healthy, normal process that's working too well. It's working overtime, and the body or the brain doesn't know when to shut it off. And that's different. What I'm talking about is the worry that we do engage in voluntarily, even if it's so habitual that we think we're not choosing to do it. It is an action, whether we realize it or not, and it is something that we can um, can address. It, you know, it's not out of our control. Is there an aspect of this which is um, passed along through family lines? And I ask that question because oftentimes I think of people that kind of tend to uh, uh, fit into that so-called worry more category that might tend to come from a family where it was very common. You know, dad worried about finances, mother worried about whether or not the bills were going to be paid on time, or sometimes whether or not dinner was undercooked or overcooked. I mean, it, it can go from the sublime, I suppose, to the ridiculous. Do we tend to sometimes model that if we've seen um, a parent in our uh, youth who excessively gave time over to worry? Do we tend to sometimes pick up those habits? Yeah, absolutely. Just like any other behavior or any other habit, um, worry can be modeled for us. And, and unfortunately, as we engage in it and indulge it, we um, make it more likely that it will become habitual, maybe even get to a point where it's um, really destructive to our health or it feels like something we can't control. And, and more than that, as your book goes into in great detail, it can go beyond something that is uh, simply um, obsessive to the destructive power of worry that can not only uh, overcome and impact our relationships with um, our spouses or our children, but even ultimately have a negative impact on our relationship with God. Yeah, exactly. Worry is really, I consider it really an act of rebellion on our part. Um, first, you know, first of all, doing something that God has, has asked us not to do, asked his people not to do. Um, but also, you know, choosing to often, like I said, there's a belief behind that worry. So often it's a, a belief that is something like, um, I believe the world is my responsibility, <laughs> or I believe God is not strong enough to handle this, or um, you know, I'm, I'm worrying because I'm trying to see into the future. I'm trying to understand what's going to happen so that I can decide what I should do now. And that's not something that God has given us. You know, he hasn't given us the future. So sometimes we are trying to, when we, we worry, we are actually trying to undermine the, the created order, the limitations that God has placed on us, um, the dramatic... Uh, distance between us and him as far as how much higher his ways are than our ways. Is there a direct correlation, too, based on your research on this book, Amy, between um, worry and the the desire to want to control the future, um, pitted against our ability to trust God? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the, the future is one of the, our greatest sources of worry. And when we stop to think about what exactly we're worrying over when we say we worry about um, what's going to become of our kids or our jobs or um, the economy or something like that. Often we are worrying about tomorrow or next year or five years down the road. And what we're really doing is, again, trying to live in a place we can't live, trying to access something that God has not given us. And what that does, in effect, is pull us away from what he has given us. You know, it's a distraction from the present, um, from what God has placed in front of us and called us to, where 
in favor of something that he has not given us mm. and that may never be ours. And may also, therefore, um, potentially drive a, a wedge between ourselves and God, too, because we're we're trying to control something that he has not given us control over. And, and obviously, then, too, demonstrative of maybe a notion, a little bit of that, that sin nature creeping in, where we feel as if we can do a better job controlling things than God himself. Yes, absolutely. Sometimes it's a problem of of misunderstanding ownership as well. You know, mm. we tend to think that we own the people and possessions in our lives, and we don't. Um, scripture teaches very clearly that everything and everyone belongs to God. And when we get that confused and begin to think that, you know, we really have ownership and we can't afford to lose the things we have, or, um, you know, that we are responsible for our children or our spouses or our employees or the other people in our lives, um, we begin to take on, again, a measure of control that's inappropriate for us and, and uh, sort of forget or sideline the role that God plays as, as our sovereign God. We're visiting today with Amy Simpson, a look at anxious choosing faith in a world of worry. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to the conversation. On a topic I think that impacts a lot of us, it's one perhaps that uh, you struggle with, I know it's one that I struggle with, and that is the issue of worry. Family troubles, financial problems, whatever it might be, you worry. But what does that say of your relationship with God, and how do we address the destructive power of worry? That's what we're dealing with today, her new book, Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry. Jack in San Jose. Jack, hello. Welcome. Come on in with your comment or question for Amy Simpson. Thank you, Amy, for uh, saying thank you, KFAX, for taking my calls. Um, I do have uh, a lot of anxiety and worries. Well, I did have them in the past, and I uh, came across my Christian mentor gave me Philippians 4, 6, and 7, that I have practically memorized that verse. And I uh, recite that always as far as uh, taking my memory, my uh, worries, and just submit them to God and let Him take care of all the problems that I'm uh, facing. Pretty much, we, we all created worry-free, uh, I mean, uh, we're filled with worries around us. We worry just about everything. And we think that, you know, we want to have a control of our life, and we want to be in charge of it. We want to be in control of it, but, and that's where we lose it. You know, we do, and that's an excellent observation, Jack, and maybe maybe you can address that. It's not that having concerns and worries are, are not normal. Um, that's not something that we should say, oh, I think worried about something. i got to go and confess. Uh, there's a healthy degree of worry. There's a natural degree of worry, but it's what we do with it. It's how we respond, and as the caller suggests, uh, being able to surrender to Scripture and surrender to God and, and use many Scriptures that exhort us about how important it is to not worry and and to surrender those concerns to God can really be a big key toward getting out from underneath the destructive power of worry, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's important to recognize that any habit of ours, any behavior, is really a reflection of, of something we believe. And so if, we're, you know, if we have a habit of worry or we're worrying destructively, we need to examine you know, what's the belief behind that. And the way to combat that belief is to 
reaffirm what is actually true. You know, we're believing something probably that's false, like I'm in charge of the world, or, you know, everything's up to me, or I can control this, um, or I can do a better job than God can. And we need to tell ourselves things that are actually true. And, and reciting scripture is a, a wonderful way to do that, because those are God's words, and they are true. All right, we thank you so much, Jack, for your call. That leaves a line open at 888-367-5329, 888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X. Is there a healthy degree of worry, Amy? And if so, how do we, we keep that in balance? I mean, for example, there are days when I've left the house and I, I get halfway down the street and I worry, hmm, did I, did I remember to turn off the stove? <laughs> you know? mm-hmm, I right. mean, there are certain types of worry that I would seem, would seem to me can be, can be healthy if they're kept in balance. Yeah, and I would I would really actually make a differentiation between um, there between worry and anxiety because I would say that you know there's a healthy that's a healthy degree of anxiety you know that um, if we're not sure whether we turned off the stove we should we should wonder about that we should have a, a level of anxiety about that that will drive us to either go back and turn it off or turn it off next time you know it helps us to make wise decisions to anticipate things that might happen. Um, but if you were if you were to not do anything about that, and you were just to simply worry about it all day, mm. you know that's not a healthy response, and that's not a productive response. You're not actually accomplishing anything um, to address that problem. You're so, so when worry comes about, yourself. then there, there needs to be some kind of responsive action to it, not just to continue and wring your hands and and uh, pace the floor, but to either surrender over to God, or you know, again in the example, gee, I left the house. I wonder if I turned the stove off. I'm worried about that. Well, yeah, I can. Sometimes we're worrying because we're, we're we're putting off taking action on something we actually should should do, and we worry about it instead. Um, and God, God, I would suspect then, always wants us to take action, whether it's responsive, like turning the car back around and heading home and double-checking and finding out, oh, guess what, I did forget to turn off the stove, or putting it in proper perspective and saying, you know what, uh, this is a crippling obsession, uh, it is threatening my well-being, I am trying to control something in the future right. that I cannot control, and I need to therefore take positive steps, positive action to surrender that to God. Exactly. And sometimes it is a matter of, of acknowledging that we can't actually take any action. It may, there may be a situation that we actually don't have the power to, um, to change or to control. And in those cases, we need to acknowledge. And, you know, we often speak of surrendering control to God, but what we're really doing when we do that is um, we're not surrendering anything. We're just acknowledging what's already true. You know, we're not giving God um, the responsibility for, for the world. He already has it. So we just need to submit ourselves to that. It's a little bit of, again, a sin nature here, too, isn't it? Because we're trying to wrestle from God control over things over which we have no control. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it goes back to the Garden of Eden, really, in, in trying to be, be like God or take on God's um, place in relationship to the universe. And we simply, we simply don't have that, that power, and, and we simply have not been given control over everything. And thank God that we have not been, <laughs> um, you know, because we certainly would not make it better. We're visiting with Amy Simpson, author of Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry, something that all of us need to take a look at. I mean, there's a whole ton out there to be worried about. The problem is that sometimes we don't keep it in proper perspective. We allow the the obsessive nature of worry to become destructive. And, of course, that destructiveness can not only be crippling from an emotional standpoint, but also destructive in terms of the impact that it has on our relationships, ultimately 
our relationship with God, because as Amy suggests, oftentimes this issue of worry is one where we, we're trying to control something that we cannot control that is uniquely in the hands of God. And we're suggesting maybe what through worry that we can do a better job than he can. We might not articulate it that way, but maybe our actions would suggest otherwise. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, as we have suggested on today's program, there are a lot of reasons why and things going on in the world around us and in your own personal life to worry. Lots of reasons to worry, all except one, and that is that God commands us not to worry. In fact, as suggested by our guest today, we need to take a a strong look at our relationship with him and trust issues if we become overwhelmed by worry. And toward that end, this is an interesting topic in in your own personal life. Um, Amy, how have you struggled with this? Yeah, I mean, this book really comes out of my own experience. I I have really spent a lifetime being a, a worried and anxious person um, but not really recognizing it for what it was, because I could always point to somebody else around me who was w- more worried than I was. Um, but God just really um, began to open my eyes to my own worry habits. Like a few years ago when I was um, sitting in a, a church service and, and I heard uh, Isaiah 40 being read. And, and for some reason, you know, I've been a Christian my whole life. I've heard these passages many times, but for some reason I heard them, heard this in a new way. And and in Isaiah 40, when it talks about God says, you know, who can compare to me? Who is like me? No one. I am, you know, so strong and so mighty that I know all of the stars by name. And because of me, not one of them is missing. And I, for some reason, I, that just hit home for me in a way it hadn't before where I realized, you know, this, this God who is talking to his people in ancient times through the prophet Isaiah is the same God that I claim to trust and to worship. Mm-hmm. And here I am kind of stewing in worry and in anxiety and and trying to control things that are outside my control. And, uh, you know, if he is keeping track of all the stars and he knows all of them by name, boy, why do I think that I can't trust him with the things that that worry me and that threaten to overwhelm me? So, I, you know, I've been on a journey with that, and God has been addressing that with me and and writing this book project, you know, is a, a part of that as well. So... I am still on that journey. I am certainly not worry-free, um, but God, God's changing my habits and my heart's there, and he's doing it really through addressing my, the beliefs that fuel my worry. Is a big part of this, too, about priority and perspective? I ask that question because it, we're reminded of um, what Jesus says in Luke twelve twenty two, where he says, I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough to eat or clothes to wear. Life is more than food, your body more than clothing. Don't be concerned about what to eat or what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Therefore, seek the kingdom of God first above all else, and he will give you everything that you need. And the reference there to unbelievers puts this in perspective, doesn't it? Worry is what the world does. Worry, and obsessively so, is not what we as Christians should do. Right. We are called to live differently. And we live in a very worried world. We live in a culture that not only worries a lot, but also values worry as a way to show that we're important, we're engaged, we care about the world around us, and is suspicious of people who are at peace. But we are called to live at peace um, and to live a life of faith and trust. And that is a, that is a, a thing that will make us stand out as Christians in this world. 
and you're right, it's, sometimes it is a matter of, um, it's certainly a matter of perspective, sometimes it's a matter of priority as well, because worry can be a way um, of revealing to us that we are prioritizing our own concerns above those of God's, mm. and sometimes just a matter of focusing on, okay, what is important to God in this situation can completely flip our perspective and make us realize that we are worrying over things that, you know, in, in God's <laughs> um, economy, don't matter that much. The bigger perspective, I mean, because otherwise yeah. we can be crippled as much by worry as by spiritual myopia, that, that, that sense of, of, of short-sightedness or narrow-sightedness that doesn't allow us to look beyond the current problem. And again, I want to be careful in underscoring that there are oftentimes uh, worries that come along over legitimate things, mm-hmm. making sure that you um, have enough money to pay the mortgage to keep a roof over the head of your children if your husband has lost his job or your wife has lost her job. That's a legitimate concern. Absolutely. And yet it shouldn't be a crippling one. And if we allow it to do so, doesn't that suggest a bit of a spiritual narrow-mindedness here that we think somehow that God can't see above and beyond the totality of all of our needs, including whether or not the rent is paid? Yeah, exactly. Sometimes we get lost in our own um, perspective and forget that there is a much larger perspective. And of course, that doesn't mean, you know, I don't mean to minimize the things that that make us worry. And God doesn't either, really. If you look in Scripture, God never tells us, don't worry because there's nothing to worry about, or because the things that you worry about are unimportant. He says, you know, when he tells his people not to worry in Scripture, he always tells them why. And the reason he gives them is never based in um, their circumstances. It's always based in who he is. It's always that we are not to worry because of who God is. And, and so regardless of our circumstances, he is greater than those circumstances. And that really takes us back full circle to the initial portion of our conversation where we made that worry-trust uh, correlation that, that really at the end of the day an extreme degree of worry is suggesting an extreme degree of lack of trust, and the ability to supplant worry with trust um, will will ultimately not only, quite frankly, give us a better night's sleep, but also enrich our spiritual walk and deepen our relationship with Christ. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it, and actually, the you know, making a habit of practicing trust rather than, than worrying, sort of replacing the worry with not only a change in our beliefs, but a change in our practices mm-hmm. can be a powerfully faith-deepening activity. So this is something you have to purpose to do. Yes, it is, especially in a, in a, a world where, uh, you know, the culture around us encourages us to worry, and a world where there are plenty of, of reasons to be worried. You know, if God is not on his throne, if God is not in charge of this world, and if he doesn't love us, we have every reason in the world to be worried. Otherwise, to recognize that this is not a one-and-done sort of approach, that, in fact, you need to renew your trust in him, as the previous caller suggested, um, uh, committing to memory certain scriptures that help you gain uh, a proper balance and focus on a relationship and who's really in charge. Because, as Amy points out, if God is not on the throne and God is not in charge, we are in a whole ton of trouble, and therefore you have every reason to worry yourself right into ground. If, however, you believe that God is still on the throne, still in charge, that he is the founder and creator of all that is around us, and there is nothing that is outside of his control, then it's a matter of surrendering the worry over to him, saying no to the enemy who wishes to preoccupy you with worry, and learning to deepen your trust in him. 
book is called Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry, and the book newly published by InterVarsity Press. You'll find it at the usual suspects, as well as through Amazon.com. Amy also has a website that you can check out, amysimpsononline.com. And Amy, thanks so much for the time and the insights tonight. There's Amy Simpson, Anxious. All right, be anxious for nothing. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're going to turn corner and deal with another topic, uh, one that, quite frankly, a lot of us rebel against, we, we struggle with. We've heard passages of Scripture regarding now the wives should submit themselves to their husbands, and of course we, we sometimes uh, uh, sort of recoil at that idea and, and then fail to recognize the second portion of that Scripture says that husbands should, should love their wives as Christ loved the church, and we know how Christ loved the church. He gave his very life for it. But this whole issue of learning how to submit and what submission means is something that a lot of us, quite frankly, struggle with. Uh, Certainly in our fallen condition, the sense of wanting to rebel, not submit, seems to come more naturally. But at the end of the day, when we talk about being able to deepen our relationship with God, is it really about rebelling or is it about submitting? Joining me now, best-selling author, radio talk show host, his program, Road to Reality. He has authored over 200 books, some of which bestsellers selling more than 2 million copies. And he, of course, is the founder and international director of Gospel for Asia, Dr. K.P. Yohannan. And K.P., great to have you back on the show. Yeah, thank you. Good to be with you. Boy, this whole idea of submission, we kind of get uncomfortable with that idea, don't we? The, the idea of being able to kind of lay down, to yield our our will to God, that's something that most of us just don't really cuddle up to. Yeah, you know, uh, when you think about it, anytime you, you hear the word submission or uh, surrender, naturally uh, our hearts um, go cold and uh, we don't we don't like to hear that and one of the reasons is you know the the, the abuse of leaders and authority and uh, you know husbands um, and i think um, we naturally resist that but the the truth of the matter is this that someone who is truly following the lord um, they, they they want to please the Lord, and that also involves in um, embracing humility and submitting to authority, even when there are difficulties we have to deal with. You know, think about David, who absolutely uh, knew God, and God anointed him, and here he was in a difficult situation under King Saul, and David had every chance in the world, and of course, you know, he would be justified to kill Saul and... Um, uh, inherit what was already given to him by God, but he would not do that. He said, I cannot do it, and I cannot raise my hand against God's anointed, even when Saul was you know, uh, a man who walked away from God. And I think there, there needs to be a deeper understanding of godliness uh, by our absolute surrender to God and His ways. And uh, our problem in America or in the church, honestly, I do not think it is, uh, huge abuse of authority. Rather, it is um, uh, people that uh, we, we do not want to uh, die to self and uh, be willing to uh, walk under the authority of God. It's interesting that you would single out David. Many of us would sort of regard him instantly as being this tremendous man of God. He's known as a man that has heart after God, a tremendous leader. And yet, 
not really recognizing that perhaps one of his greatest attributes, one of his greatest strengths, was his ability to submit to God's authority. And, you know, trusting in God's sovereignty. You know, the scripture says in First John, someone says that, you know, I love God so much, the God that you cannot see, but then do not love those that he can see. The scripture says he is a liar or she is a liar. The truth is not in that person. So uh, when we live on earth, uh, acknowledging God's sovereignty, you know, and, and trusting him, um, and, and submit to him as long as the authority don't ask us to violate God's law and disobey God. And, uh, you know, uh, there are times, um, you know, I talk about that in the book, uh, when the authority asks us to violate God's word, we, we cannot uh, say, okay, I do whatever you tell me to do. Uh, but I, I really believe uh, when you have 65 percent divorce rate um, in our evangelical uh, homes or 82 percent of the young people who grew up in Bible-believing churches leave the church when they leave home and um, the broken families, there has to be some explanation to this and I think we are uh, 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 self-willed, arrogant, proud, stubborn people uh, that we will mu- we we will not give up and we'll fight, and um, uh, uh, someone who want to know God and be godly, I think Jesus lived in absolute submission to his Father, which also reflected in his submission to his parents, who were not, you know, you know, angels. They were fallen people. How he lived, uh, obeying his Father, which was reflected in his life on earth. And I think the Lord calls us to uh, follow him. Um, and I think Romans 13 very clearly talks about that. You know, I'm uh, you know, not the one who promotes that we go around and fight with everybody around us, but really the question is this, do we truly know the living God in our life? And is there godliness in us? That should be the reason um, why we surrender and obey and and live through this, and the scripture is full of illustrations to this. Let's go deeper. The point that you make, uh, KP, regarding arrogance and pride, and how that feeds into our culture, our society today, is part of the challenge here in terms of understanding what it means to wholly submit to God. The notion that quite often we equate submission with weakness, and we think, well, well, I can't possibly submit because I don't want to be seen as being weak or vulnerable. No, you see, the thing is, when you study the scripture, um, you know, submission is not weakness. As a matter of fact, the, the, the text itself, when you read about it, talks about strength under control. Um, it is um, my choosing to say, you know, I, I, I yield my rights and I do not want to fight. And, you know, Joseph had every right, every uh, reason to accuse, to fight and malign and uh, do all kind of things against, uh, you know, uh, his master and his wife and so on. But you never find him complaining, murmuring, uh, fighting. And um, the the reality uh, is this, that in the body of Christ, uh, in the local church or in the home, because 
we never learned what it means to die to self and denying ourselves. Uh, we want God, you know, it is like in America, you say, you want the cake and eat it too. Um, it, it just don't work like that. And I think the message of the cross and dying to self and being broken and humble and being uh, not wolves but lambs following the Lord Jesus Christ um, is seen uh, in, in the way we conduct ourselves in the society, in home, um, and things like that. And think about it. Uh, our very culture in the United States, as you know, I mean, we were born out of rebellion in some ways. And from the uh, childhood, we are taught, you know, fight for yourself, um, defend yourself, and and uh, you have your rights and stand up for your rights. I'm not saying we should, you know, um, you know, agree with all the dumb things going on and just lay down and somebody, you know, wipe you out. No, I, I'm, I'm talking about people that read God's word and, and trusting his sovereignty and willing to obey those um, that God placed over us. And that's what, you know, Paul writing to the slaves, their masters many times abusing them. And he says, you must obey your masters as unto the Lord. While Paul says, masters, you know, treat these people as your brothers. And Paul never promoted rebellion and fight. And uh, that is exactly what Lucifer did. Uh, he did not want to submit uh, under authority, and uh, the angel became Satan. And in all of us, there is that seed of Lucifer. By nature, we are stubborn and rebellious people. And so uh, we, don't, we don't want to experience suffering in the flesh, which is the means we learn obedience and understand the ways of God. That's what the Bible says. Jesus learned obedience through suffering, and which translates into um, walking away from uh, our rights many times and, and, and follow instruction. And fascinating that we seem to take almost a, one extreme or another position. In other words, KP, we're either independent and strong, or we're submissive and we're weak. And yet look at the image that we see of Christ, presented as both the Lion of Judah, a tremendous symbol of strength, and overcoming the very gates of hell, and yet also depicted in the weakness of the Lamb that ultimately was slain on our behalf. And so we see it not as one extreme or another, but in this case, really uh, both. A look at Touching Godliness, a new book written by K.P. Yohannan, available, by the way, through Gospel for Asia. You can contact them online at gfa.org. That's gfa.org. He's authored over 200 books and the radio program syndicated on over 900 stations weekly. Dr. K.P. Yohannan, founder and international director of Gospel for Asia. K.P., as always, a delight to have you with us on the program. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.